Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today is episode number 149. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined by Logan Whitmer and special guest, Kevin Scott. We'll let Kevin introduce himself in just a little bit. want to give a shout out today for the episode sponsor, This episode is presented by Epilogue Laser. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Now, uh, you're joining us. Logan and I are in the bleak throes of early spring in the Midwest, and you're not. You're... You're out in California, aren't you? Yeah, although it's been an unusual winter here in California. So I live in uh, Silicon Valley in the in the Bay Area, and uh, it is also uh, gray, bleak, cold, and rainy here as well, which is very unusual uh, for us. Yeah, waiting for your next atmospheric river to come through. Yeah, uh, like I, I would uh, be super happy never to hear the words atmospheric river or bomb cyclone ever again. <laughs> Uh, so Kevin, what's your, what's your, uh, what do you do in your day job? I mean, we know, but nobody else does. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm the, uh, chief technology officer at Microsoft and, uh, I'm a computer scientist by training and have worked in the technology industry for many years now. Um, but I grew up in a family of woodworkers and uh like actual carpenters in rural central virginia so my great-grandfather my grandfather and my father were all in the construction business and so that was their day job and in their uh off hours like they also did woodworking they made furniture they restored antiques uh my uh, my maternal grandfather did as well uh so i was just surrounded my entire childhood by makers and the uh the only appropriate uh, spare time activity that one could do was like go go in the shop and make some sawdust. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. did you get roped into any of the work that they were doing as a kid that was part of your just growing up? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that they did for me, which in retrospect was pretty incredible, was that I got drawn into woodworking really early. Like one of my favorite Christmas presents I ever got uh, all time was uh, I think when I was eight years old, my granddad made me a carpenter's toolbox and filled it up with like a little handsaw, a little bit and brace, uh, you know, like one of the uh, wooden folding rules uh, uh, and a hammer. And like, so I had my own stuff uh, and you know, they were unafraid to let me use uh, tools pretty early on. And I, uh, I was always in the shop with them. And, you know, when I, when I got to be a teenager, uh, like I grew, I was, uh, um, I was a kid in the seventies and the eighties. And so, uh, like there was a big car stereo craze in the, in the 1980s. And so, you know, I would do stuff as a teenager, like building speaker boxes for, uh, for, for speakers that went into my car. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So your shop at your place, do you have a shop at home or, I mean, we know that Microsoft probably has a community shop that everybody gets to use on their break times. Yeah. (laughs) We, we, we actually have 
many community shops. Uh, so one, <laughs> one of the things, um, one of the programs that I run at Microsoft is this thing called the garage. Uh, and so um, in tons of our buildings, like we have big shops. So uh, with woodworking equipment and machine tools and oh, electronics labs. Uh, and so the where I'm at right now is uh, I'm lucky enough to have uh, like a, a like a big commercial space that uh, my uh, shop is in. So and it's it's like a weird space. So downstairs is uh, machine shop, wood shop. Uh, like I've got industrial sewing machines. So you know, sort of anything oh, you can imagine f- for making all sorts of stuff. And then upstairs is. Uh, commercial office space which is where my offices are and like our, our family foundation uh gets run out of this building as well so oh, uh, cool. my <laughs> wife my wife is actually who runs our family foundation shares this building where you know her meetings get uh interrupted because the dust collector gets turned on <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like when we're trying to film some of our cnc stuff in our shop uh yeah, the yeah. air compressor turns on it's like oh god all right wait wait a couple minutes for the air compressor is shut off yeah well one of the things that i had to do before getting on this podcast is to turn the air compressor off so that it doesn't cycle on while we're talking <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome exactly right yeah so how did you get into you know for example i mean like i grew up my dad was a woodworker and I did woodworking as a kid. And then you get that weird like college stretch where you're not really woodworking in college. And then how did you pick it back up as an adult where it was your space now? Yeah, it took a really long time actually. So for a while, while I was in college, I went to school close enough to home so that I could borrow my dad shop whenever I needed to do a project but you know honestly I didn't have a ton of time to do woodworking like I was trying to get a PhD in computer science and you know was you know working three jobs to put myself through school um and you know and then that I had like a you know, really weird career like my uh my wife is a uh history uh uh, we met when she was a history PhD student and, um, yeah, we moved to Germany together, uh, to, you know, like where I was a computer science professor at the university of Göttingen and she was trying to finish her PhD up. Uh, and then I, then we moved to Manhattan, uh, where I was, uh, like, uh, an employee at Google, uh, before Google's IPO. Uh, and then like, I had no space for a shop and like, and this was like before the days of maker spaces where you could yeah. go rent some space. So like just zero woodworking in, um, in New York city. And then we moved to California 16 or 17 years ago now. Uh, and okay. one of the very first things that I did in, in a rental house is it had a detached, uh, one car garage. And I learned how to build a wood shop in a very small space. <laughs> so, and, and, and in some ways, like, I actually miss that, uh, like the whole process of figuring out how to understand what it is that you want to make and then putting, uh, like, just exactly the bare minimum tools that you need to go make those mm-hmm. things and just super efficiently use space. Like, that was a fun project in and of itself. Yeah. Right. That's, that's funny. So, what... 
when you were in your one one stall shop, what were your projects? What did they look like? I mean, what what type of projects did you build there? Yeah, it, so I set the shop up to make uh, furniture. Uh, so gotcha. like that, that was my aspiration. And so I, you know, I think like a whole bunch of folks in our generation, like I, in addition to having my parents, I grew up, uh, watching Norm Abrams, uh, in the new Yankee workshop. I you know, grew up, uh, yeah, watching like, actually I was a full adult, uh, by the time this came around, cause I'm an old man. Uh, but like David Marks, uh, show, yep. uh, um, yeah, so I, I watched whatever was available on PBS, which was, mm -hmm. you know, like the best resource in the, in the world for someone living, uh, living in the country and in, in Virginia. Um, and I always aspired to make the sorts of things that I saw Norm, uh, and David making on their TV shows. Yeah. I was like, one day I'll like, I'll have... It, it, like he, the wrong thing that I thought is like, oh, the thing that will let me do this are tools, uh, and I like very much underappreciated like that it was mostly about skill and like yeah. tools are, you know, facilitators for skill, and sometimes they help you save time, and sometimes they help you waste time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, and especially when you see somebody that's a professional like Norm Abrams, yeah, and. Uh, David Marks, where they're fully equipped, and it's taken them a while to get to that point. So you're just kind of dazzled as a beginner by all the accessories in the background, and you really forget to see what's going on in the fact of that skillful use of tools. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's just very basic stuff that I think was non-obvious to me when I first started doing this stuff that wood is an organic material and that it moves on you. It, oh yeah. You, you cut it and stresses get relieved and things buckle and bow. And, um, like it's, uh, you know, it's just knowing your material and knowing, uh, how to handle it and like what it's going to do under a whole bunch of conditions. Like it has nothing to do with the tools. Um, and you can have the best tools in the world and not understand that stuff. And, end up having horrible outcomes in your projects yeah well it's like we were talking about before we started recording is you know sometimes having all the tools in the world doesn't help you if you don't understand how to use them um, we're talking about turning you know you sometimes see people on youtube showing a incorrect procedure with the wrong tool and it's like well there's a lot more to it than that you know some of the best craftsmen that i've ever met work out of their garage with a table saw and a joiner and planer and that's it yeah. So, and and like look, there's the, these tools are also dangerous. Uh, you know, yeah, like I I, yeah. I used to think it was kind of silly that you know every episode of the New Yankee Workshop and you know the you know, Norm was saying you know I like I forget exactly what you know, but there's no more important tool than these your safety glasses and yep. yep. Um, you know, and the first time you get a splinter in your eye or you you know you're working an angle grinder and like get a piece of uh, like it's you, you'll understand. Uh, yep. And so it's better to just follow those precautions like the the yeah we we've had it here in in my shop uh like just over the past two years like two triggers of uh like the saw stop safety mechanism that if it hadn't been there like it would have meant a pretty serious injury um you know like i've in the past five years had a router table in, uh, injury uh you know and i've been working for 30 years uh yeah. and so 
you know, you, you just never can assume that you fully mastered all of your tools and you have to exercise a great degree of caution, uh, I think. Yeah. So what are the kinds of projects that you work on now? So I do all sorts of stuff and the things that the things that I get really excited about now are are things where you're sort of mixing a bunch of tools and techniques and materials that don't usually go together. So um I still do a bunch of furniture stuff. Like I I just recently with uh I I'm lucky enough to have a really super talented shop manager who works here uh with me. Um and we made a uh Krenov uh inspired uh display cabinet uh mm-hmm. like out of this like beautiful straight grained ash um where oh, cool. you know it was sort of a mixture of classic techniques and then we uh you know we sort of turned all of the or, or like cnc'd all of the uh door frames with these beautifully uh like filigree mullions um and uh and then one of our favorite things to do because we have a machine shop here is uh to like make your own hardware so like all of the pulls oh, and yeah. uh yeah, we, we had little brass standoffs that connected the uh, case and the stand together that were custom machined. Um, and, like, that's a really fun thing to do. Uh, and, you know, like, I, I know that I'm, I'm not the only person in the world who's doing, uh, you know, doing machining and woodworking at the same time. But, you know, I think it's something that um, is actually way 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 more accessible now than it was 30 years ago just because yeah. you know like you can buy yourself a pretty inexpensive benchtop um metal lathe uh mm-hmm. for not right. much more than what a wood turning lathe cost uh and like you you know, this whole new world has opened up like you can make make your own pulls you can sort of uh uh yeah you, make your own hinges make you know, what whatever it is that you can imagine uh you yeah. can uh like i made a barrister's bookcase where uh like pictures even, yeah yeah so we even machined the um the the slides for the uh doors for the barrister's bookcase so the leveling feet for it custom machine the poles the slides uh um you know we do a bunch of stuff where you know like i love uh walnut uh so like a lot of our projects are walnut and brass. Uh so mm-hmm. like we'll do brass inlays into walnut. Um oh yeah, ton ton of stuff. And then, you know, like that, that Barris's bookcase uh, had leather in it as well. So like we put uh leather uh leather inlays on the top uh, and so it's like a very, you know, sort of old school uh thing yeah. built with a bunch of new world technique. That's awesome. So <laughs> would you say you have a particular furniture style that you enjoy more than others? Like I'm a huge shaker fan. I love shaker stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you I, have a particular I, style? I, I don't know that I do. Um, like I really like modern, clean lines, uh, mm-hmm. sort of spare and sparse things. I love shaker furniture as well. Like I built a bunch of shaker projects. I tend not to love uh, the more ornate projects uh yeah. like i i don't own any you know sort of chippendale style uh, yeah. stuff like i've never carved a you know ball and claw foot before and have never felt the i mean like I, i've watched videos like i can sort of watch it and admire the you know the enormous yeah. amount of skill that goes into it but like that's never been a thing that i've like oh i would love to go do yeah. that myself 
See, and I think that's probably why I enjoy Shaker so much is because a very clean Shaker design can be very modern. You know, I love yeah. Thomas Mosier type furniture. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Same thing. My wife would not allow a Chippendale piece in our house. Right. <laughs> so I would love to build one. Man, if I could get somebody to buy one from me, that'd be great. I mean, I yeah. don't really want to do commissions ever again, but like that would be fun. But it's just not my style for the house. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, I t- totally agree. But like just being p- part of the fun part of the fun of making for me is like part part of it is just this meditative process so yeah. like in my day job like almost nothing that i do is about like what i can make with my own two hands individually where i can work on it for you know a small handful of hours and then see a you know a thing that i've made um so like almost everything that i do is like tens hundreds thousands of people working together on a thing for years uh before you yeah. you know get the thing that you can go ship to a bunch of people um so it it like being able to do this stuff is very fulfilling like it lets me sure. have a creative outlet that I wouldn't otherwise have um and it it it's also like very meditative I find so um you know like you're operating a dangerous piece of equipment uh, and you're trying to do something that requires a lot of precision on an expensive piece of material, like you tend to just think about that. Like you are yeah. very in the moment. Like that's all you're thinking about. Yeah. Uh, and like, that's really nice sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've even found that, I mean, I do woodworking as part of my day job, but it's nice to have projects where, you know, you're not thinking about some, text message beeping up at you or email or meeting request or, you know, that you don't have 6,000 things going on in your head. Yeah. It is just that one, just that one thing you're just kind of dialed in. And I think that can be rare for a lot of people these days is to, is to have the, the luxury to just think about one thing. Yeah. I totally agree. And I, I wonder all the time, it sort of seems in some ways that, Woodworking and making is a more vibrant pastime now than maybe it was even when, you know, we were kids. Uh, and I wonder if how much of that is like people really do need a thing that is a respite from all of the distraction that you get in yeah. a very complicated modern world. And like how much of it is because so much of what we do is abstract and digital and you know, mm-hmm. you know mediated by a bunch of technology where like just doing something with your hands is fulfills a need that all of us have that like maybe we don't even know. Yeah. 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 Do you find that to be the case with people that you work with cuz you're obviously working with a lot of people that are very you know, the products that you create, you can never really hold. Yeah, it is unusual how many software engineers have one of these pastimes in some form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really funny. It's almost uh, so if you tell someone that you're a woodworker, show them a picture of a thing that you make, like one of your colleagues, they're like, oh, my God, like, I didn't know, like, here, let me show you all of the things that I've made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so just the number of software engineers who spend all day long uh, writing code, who go home to their shop at night and, like, try to make something out of wood or metal or, 
you know, whatever else, uh, it's like really surprising, uh, yeah. like how many folks do that. Today's episode is brought to you by Epilogue Laser. Quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. I think inherently, anybody, no matter what, for the most part, no matter what field of engineering they're in, they enjoy that level of precision, I think, you know, yeah. like they enjoy stuff to be very orderly and building something by design for the most part is very orderly to get it yeah. to work. Um, so it, it makes sense. And I think you're right. I think I, you know, think about the engineers I know, um, whether they're software engineers or, you know, civil engineers or whatever, they, they like stuff to be orderly and they enjoy doing something. Yeah. And, and that is not the only way to approach the, the craft like there are no. people who make amazing things who have a very different process than i do oh yes uh, oh yes um <laughs> yeah like the the thing that i do a lot of actually is like i build 3d models of things before i make them and so like i have mm -hmm. I, I know exactly how everything is going to come together i know the, exactly the dimensions of things and increasingly i use cnc machines to do bits and pieces of the work that i'm doing mm -hmm. um and mostly that's just uh, part part of the way that I think about the world. Uh, like I'm just sort of very comfortable being in that paradigm and like part of it is just saving time. Uh, so sure. like what, what I enjoy is like being able to finish a project. Um, so, so like I, I, I get very agitated at myself uh, if I start things and don't finish them in some reasonable amount of time. Um, and so sometimes like I will just pick a tool where I know it's like, all right, like I've got five hours to work on this thing and like, I got to choose the tool so I can get to the end state mm -hmm. in the allotted amount of time. And, and that, that's a very different thing. Some people would like, just find everything about what I just said, barbaric, blasphemous, it's like, <laughs> blasphemous. it's like CNC and like, you know, you're putting time pressure on yourself. Mm. Like I want to relax. Uh, and so like, I, I understand everybody's got a different process. Yeah. So yeah. that, that leads me into a good question. Would you consider yourself, I mean, I think you've already kind of answered it, but would you consider yourself more of a traditional woodworker or do you like to, I mean, you said you like to use CNC's. Um, do you blend hand tools in your work at all or yep. everything? All, all, of the, all of the above. Um, okay. And it, sometimes it depends on, you know, what is it I'm trying to accomplish and what sort of mood yeah. am I in uh, when I'm making something. Um, yep. and, and again, like I get to have moods because I'm a hobbyist. Uh, like I, I would <laughs> <Right>. make very <laughs> different fair. decisions if I were, uh, like cranking out commissions or like doing yeah, something at a production absolutely. shop. Yep. Like I, I, like I, I know a cabinet maker here in the, in the Bay area who, you know, I've, I've just worked with for years and years and years. And like, he uses more and more automation all the time. Yeah. Um, and like his, his thing is like, look, I've got a huge amount of demand for the work that I'm doing. Like I want to hold a high bar for craftsmanship and quality, but like I've got to use automation in order to yeah, just make this work. Uh, there's just yep. no other economic yep. way to run this business. Uh, whereas like I can catch a mood and decide that it's, you know, Japanese pole saws and Lee Nielsen planes and, yep. like, uh, and just, <laughs> yeah, just relax Is that in the, yep. you know, the process. Yeah. So would you, well, would you, oh, sorry, go ahead, Phil. 
Well, I was going to say, it kind of reminds me yesterday, Logan, for you, where you were in the office here shooting a couple of photos and you had little space in between some of the things. And it was like, what are you going to do? And you just grabbed a couple of pieces of white oak that you had and were turning small bowls and platters. And, you know, the idea was using up the space, the time, you know, but on the other hand, I think you were also working on like, creating forms quickly yes. and yeah. you know like building that skill of you know like you can you can kind of wander around at the lathe and get something done yeah. mm -hmm. but then there's also just that efficient use of tools yeah 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 i think the lathe so, is especially yeah. beautiful at that it is i mean i remember my daughter uh like i've got uh, you know, a 12 year old and a 14 year old and my daughter, they're both Harry Potter fans. And at one point mm -hmm. they were like, they, they broke a, a Harry Potter wand that they had bought uh, at Universal no. Studios or something. Um, and they were like so despondent. And I went to the shop and like grabbed a walnut dowel and in yep. 20 minutes, I had like something that was better than the thing that they had bought at the store, and then they were very happy. And like, that's a yeah. satisfying thing to be able to, oh, yeah, uh, you know, just quickly get a useful form out of a tool and then give it to someone and make them oh, yeah. happy. Yep. So, Tevin, would you ever consider? So, I mean, you, you consider yourself a hobbyist. Um, would you ever want to do it to do woodworking? full-time in a production scale or is it like nope absolutely not like i mean obviously you have a career path that you're you're in would you could you see yourself in a parallel universe doing it at a production level or is it yeah, more I, enjoyable as a hobby i i look there was a there was a fork in the road for me when i was a teenager where i very well could have gone into sure. the family business um and and i think I would have been happy doing that. I mean, like sure. I'm, I'm glad with the choices that I made, but like I think I would have been glad with those choices as well. Um, sure. The reason I didn't make them for for what it's worth is my dad was pushing me super, super hard not to do that. Um, and and I never, you know, I never really understood that. Like I don't think he appreciated how great the thing was that he did. Uh, like he sure. passed been. Yeah, you know, it passed away a while ago now. Um, but you know, I still drive around the yeah the, these parts of rural central Virginia where I grew up, and like I can sort of point at like, hey, that's a church that my dad built, or like that's a building at the local university that my dad built, yeah. and like they're these you know, or that my granddad uh, built, and these are you know just just have such an amazing big impact, like just the thousands and thousands of people over decades and decades who have uh, found joy and utility in the things that they did. And like, I, I think they just, they were like, all right, well, you should go do something better. And I'm like, all right, that that's a really weird way to frame things because what you did was amazing. Um, but he was very effective at convincing me not to do it. So I, I did construction work as a teenager with him. And he would give me the crappiest jobs. Uh, so it was, 
you know, pu- push yeah. wheelbarrows of mortar up a hill all day long to the bricklayers, yeah. or you know, uh, let's have you carry bundles of shingles up onto hot roofs in uh, July, Virginia <laughs> weather, uh, yeah. or here's a jackhammer. This concrete basement floor needs to be broken up. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So when was it that you first? Uh, tried out a CNC? Was it something that you had avoided for a while or was it exciting as a woodworking and technology marriage? I avoided it for a really, really long time. I was one of the people that had, uh, you know, the, the type of skepticism that like, yeah, this isn't real woodworking. Uh, like this is, you know, not just not it's not the way my dad did it. It's not the way Norm did it. Like I'm just not going to do this stuff. Um, and so I waited a really long time. I didn't know whether I would enjoy the process of using it because it was really different. Before I had a CNC machine, I didn't design uh, things and you know 3D CAD and you know like I just wanted to go to the shop and just make things and not even necessarily have drawings uh, for them. Um, and and it really I I found once I got over the hump that they're interesting machines to learn. So like it can be a lot of fun figuring out how to use them and use them effectively. Um, um, I, I found it super enjoyable. And like the thing that it does for me now is it lets me do a bunch of things that would be very difficult or impossible without them. So it just yeah. you know once you have facility with the tool, it opens up a whole new avenue of creativity that you didn't have before because the machine can not just do things faster that you could do by hand but it can do things that are impossible or impractical to do by hand yeah um you know whether it's a laser cutter or cnc router or you know like pick your thing uh like you can just do some pretty awesome stuff with these machines uh and and I, I never use them to the exclusion of other things. So, like we we still have you know you know table saws and um, you know planers and joiners and you know all of the things that I've you know known and have forever. But like these are interesting new complements to you know what I've done for a really long time. Yeah. So it sounds like we just have a few more minutes with you, Kevin. Uh, on that note, do you think? Where do you think, I mean, obviously you being in the technology field, where do you think technology and woodworking are really going to kind of converge in the future? I mean, we, we've seen a big jump with CNCs. We saw a big jump with SawStop, you know, a decade ago. Where do you think you see it going? Yeah, I think the CNC software will, or the CNC machines will get cheaper and more accessible. I mean, just even over the past five years, like the number of people I know who have a CNC router and, you know, have added that to their repertoire of woodworking tools has gotten a lot higher. Um, So I think they'll get cheaper and they'll be less intimidating. Um, I think one of the things that is likely to happen over the next five or 10 years is that you will start getting... um, better software for doing design and like for for me that was the that was a big barrier to entry like i i you know waited forever and ever to start using 3d printers mostly because i wasn't fluent with 3d cad yeah and like that was a you know it was pretty big barrier to entry like i use uh, like i know a ton of woodworkers use sketchup uh i use uh fusion 360 uh from autodesk and um 
the the thing that I had to do there was um, I was going on vacation and I was like, all right, like my project for this vacation is I'm going to sit down and watch a ton of YouTube videos about Fusion 360. I'm going to buy a license yep. to this thing. I'm going to learn how to use this thing. Like yep. at the end of the week, I'm going to have designed something useful. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, once you get over the activation energy, it's like, just super amazing to like have the new yeah. thing in your toolkit, but it's like a high barrier. And so I think the software is going to get better over the next handful yeah. of years. And I think maybe that's the biggest thing holding people. It's like the cost of the so machine too. and like the difficulty of using the software. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. So before we go, I have one more question that everybody wants to know. When's Windows XP coming back? <laughs> 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 That's that asking a, for the people. <laughs> that's a very, very fine question. One of the things that I did uh, with Windows 11 is I was like, can you guys just please put a uh, startup sound back into the operating <laughs> system? Because like I still get nostalgia for the startup uh, sound from Windows XP. Yeah. Uh, and, and hilarious. Yeah. Like Windows XP uh. was um, was under development when I was an intern at Microsoft Research in 2001. Uh, so like funny. we were we were dog fooding XP uh, while I was there with my PhD advisor. Um, and so I have very, very fond memories of XP. Uh, and so they, they did in Windows 11 and it's like nobody uh, turns their computer off anymore. But like if you, uh, uh, if you reboot your computer, uh, like there's a startup sound now uh, to try oh, to that's... get me some of my Windows XP nostalgia back. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's uh... excellent. Well, thanks, Kevin, for joining us today on the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can share them on our YouTube channel where you can see the podcast, or you can send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. I want to do a shout-out for today's uh, free plan that goes with the episode. Uh, we're doing a – it's a quick and easy drill press table. Uh, I think that a drill press is one of those really important tools for woodworking. And as we've talked about already, you can use it for metalworking as well and having a good fence and table that goes with it. So on our uh, YouTube channel, as well as the show notes page for this episode, you'll be able to find plans for a really sweet drill press table setup. Otherwise, uh, thank you again for joining us. And also thanks again to Epilogue Laser for sponsoring today's episode. Worked really well with the connection between woodworking and technology and this, all the ways that you can customize and personalize your projects with something like an Epilogue Laser. You want to check them out at epiloguelaser.com. Thanks, Kevin, and we'll see you next time on the Shop Notes Podcast. Bye, everybody.